boy who was sitting with his parents in church and it was time for collections of tithes and offerings. And so his dad slipped him a quarter and said, here, you put this in the plate when it comes by. So the plates were going by and finally it came to their row and the boy didn't put the quarter in at first. He started digging around inside of the bowl looking for loose change. And his dad said, just drop your quarter in there and, and get on done with it. He said, Dad, I'm making change. He said, Son, why are you making change? Well, Dad, you gave me a quarter and I heard you tell Mom that the preacher's only worth two cents, so I had to make change. Would you all believe that that's a Cody Raider original? That came to me and I just thought, you know, that's a good one. That's a good one. And some of y'all are probably like, that's real. That's true. That is, that is true. No, I, uh, that's why we did collection first, and then I tell my jokes second. Yeah, so, um, anyway, but if I find a bunch of pennies in the offering plate next Sunday, I, I, will, I will know why. Hey, I forgot to mention something at the very beginning of service, now that tithes and offerings has passed, but hopefully you saw it in your bulletin. There was an insert in each of our bulletins that talks about the new series that we're going to be starting uh, the first Sunday in May, on May the 3rd, Over the Purpose Driven Life. Now, I heard that you all have done this before, but it's been many, 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 many years. Well, I did this series at my last church, uh, you know, like three years ago, and I've slept since then, and there are things I don't remember. And I'm not doing it again out of laziness. I'm doing it because it's great material. And uh, I I would like to try to make it a practice that once a year we all go through some sort of of book that has a devotional aspect to it uh, because I believe that it is good for us to take time uh, to do something we don't normally do. And uh, what better way than to connect it to what we are doing and discussing and talking about, not only on Sunday mornings, but this will be the very first week that our new Connect groups will be starting. Uh, We've got leads on about three connect groups that are getting ready to kick up, and I'm so thankful we're still putting the details together, Uh, and that's why I also need your help, because I have a handful of these completed connect group forms, and I thank you for those of you all who have turned them in. Uh, Some of you all volunteered to be uh, group leaders, some to open your homes. I really and truly appreciate that, but I I only have a handful, Um, and I would love to to see more of us, if not really all of us, getting involved in this because this is where really good and true discipleship takes place. You remember how Jesus discipled? Twelve guys walking around all the time together. They spent their lives together. I wish I had this picture with me right now, but it was a picture of of Jesus standing up at a chalkboard in the middle of a field and his disciples are sitting there in chairs with writing desks on them. And it says that Jesus did not teach this way. And I think for good reason. I think that has its time and its place. But wonderful, true, life-changing discipleship takes place in smaller groups where people can become intimately connected with one another and share their lives. And that's what we want to do through these connect groups. So you can still find these. We Believe me, I printed a lot. They are all over the place. You'll find them at the table by this door on your way out. And there's also a stack of them in uh, one of the paper uh, holder things that's out there. Uh, there's a whole big, whatever the technical term is, display. Uh, it, it is out. There's a whole big stack of them. Please 
take time to fill this out. Think about it. Pray about it. Uh, that way we can offer uh, as many groups as we can to connect as many people as we can. And that's the point. That's why we're calling them connect groups. So that we can connect to God and each other in these times together. So there's my, there's my plug. And the first, the first thing we'll be doing together, our connect groups are going to follow the pattern of the sermon. They'll either be the same text looked at deeper or a similar text with a similar message or a thought. So again... A daily devotional and we want to as a church leadership we want to gift this book to you so if you will read it if you will participate in this venture we will buy you a book husbands and wives you'll get your own book Ooh, that way you don't have to wait on them to finish so please put your name and I want as many people to participate in this as possible put your name there say yes I would like to own my own copy of The Purpose Driven Life. And then just cut that little piece up, rip it off, fold this whole thing in half if you want to. If you did it during the communion or the offering time, thank you so much. And if you didn't, uh, just fold it up and there's a basket out there that has the small group uh, paper. You can put, see, this is what you need to do. Fill this out and fill this out and put them both in the same basket, okay? We all together, if we are, say amen. Say I'm going to do it. Oh, that wasn't near as many. <laughs> Somehow I thought that might happen. But please, 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 uh, you know, pray about this. I, we, are, we are here because God created us. In the passage that we'll look at, it says that God knew us before, before the pages of our lives were ever written. And so we owe God our time, more than just an hour or so on Sunday morning. You know, we owe Him our life, and... Growing deeper in connection with him is what he desperately wants us to do while we are here. Because I believe that the more we know him here, the more we'll enjoy heaven when we get there. So church, uh, let's, let's do that together. One last little thing. I just want to tell you, mark your calendars. The date is inside the bulletin. But on April the 26th, we'll be having homecoming service. More details are to come, but please, April 26th, we'll be having homecoming services. And yes, there will be food. You can't have homecoming without having some food. So, of course, we're going to worship, but, I mean, that's a give-in, but there will be food. I think that's probably a give-in, too. But, uh, all right, with all those things aside, let us now pray and ask God to bless our time of study together, shall we? Father, we thank you for this time and this place you have given us to come and, and to set aside, Lord, to worship and, and praise you. Lord, there, there is nothing that is inherently special about this building that we gather in. No, the building itself is not special, but it's made special by the people that fill it. Lord, that's your people, your children, the sheep of your pasture. So Lord, we have gathered together to hear your voice again. We, your sheep, we know your voice. We are attentive to you, Lord, and I pray that, that we will be even more so at this time as we open your holy word, that we would listen with intensity the words that you have poured forth for us, that you have instilled over the annals of history, that we might have them today. Until heaven and earth pass away, not, not one bit of this word shall, shall be void, shall it not pass away. Father, I just thank you that that in these moments we can just listen to you. 
hear your voice. Know you are God. Father, let us respond to this word by putting it to practice in our life. By allowing it to be something that infiltrates us and and changes us ultimately. That draws us closer to you. Speak to us, Lord, as only you can. Search our hearts. Show us, Lord, where we need you more and more each day. Do that through your word. In this time, now, we give to you in Christ's name. Amen. If you would, please open your Bibles with me to Psalm chapter 139. Psalm chapter 139. It'll be also on the screen for you as well as you can grab a pew Bible, open it up. Or you can look inside your bulletin, it's there for you as well. Psalm chapter 139, we shall read the entirety of the chapter. It reads like this. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. And if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, and if I settle... On the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be too dark for you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body, all my days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them even came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them all. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand, and when I awake, I am still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked from around me, you who are those who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them, and I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. One of the quotes I made last week is one in which I would like to begin with this morning. It was despair is sin's only rival in leading men to God. Despair is sin's only rival in leading men to God. 
While I believe this to be true in many cases, what should be the case for us all, and in growing intensity should be the case for, for all those who are in Christ, is that it's not despair that should lead us to the Lord, but it should be the holiness of God that should lead us ever closer to Him. Even daily, the holiness of God should draw us into Him deeper and deeper and deeper. And there is no better psalm that exemplifies this need in our lives than this one that we have read this morning. But I would like to look at a few other words before we come back to, to this psalm to explore it. The Apostle Peter in his letter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14-16, through 16, he wrote to the early church saying, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, that is, ignorance of God. But just as He who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Today there is an ever-increasing desire to silence the words of the Old Testament laws. And mostly, I believe, for the reasons that Peter has told us to leave behind, that being our, our evil desires, is why we tend to see people wanting to put aside these Old Testament laws. In speaking of these evil desires, when we live a life contrary to the will of God, in ignorance, as Peter says, we have an excuse or a pass, if you will, to live in the ways of the flesh, for we are ignorant of God. We are ignorant of His ways, we are ignorant of His wills, we're ignorant of His perfection, and we're ignorant of His holiness if we are not with the Lord. You see, God does not hold anyone to the statutes of His laws that reflect His holiness if they are not in Him, if they have not been consecrated, if they have not been set apart as one of His children. Now, do not be mistaken. These people who are not a part of the family of God are still in sin and commit sin as we do. But until the day that they are grafted into the family of God, like we have been, many of us, until they are grafted into the family of God by way of Jesus, in faith, through baptism, into His death, and raised in His resurrection, the law is not what condemns them. It is their sin. They can't even begin to live in the ways of God's laws that now are written on the heart, as Paul has said. They cannot even begin to live in these ways until they accept Christ Himself find themselves set apart in Him. So all that means that God's laws mean absolutely nothing to someone who is still in sin and has not found their way to God through Christ. But, that shouldn't be the case for us, God's children we who have been called apart from this sin, called apart from this life of, of evil that others lived in and that we once lived in, again, as Peter says, that those days that we were ignorant of God. Just because the world lives in them doesn't mean that, that we should live in them. You see, Peter calls for God's children to be obedient 
to God. And when he says to be obedient to God, he means to be obedient to his laws of holiness. But even more importantly than the laws of holiness, that we must be obedient to the character of God, the character of his holiness, his perfection. I want to take it to another level and give you an example of this. You see, Peter does not just give the command of holiness, but he quotes the very words of the Lord himself in Leviticus chapter 11, verse 14, which read, I am the Lord your God, consecrate yourselves, that is, set yourselves apart, and be holy because I am holy. So not only is Peter telling you this as an apostle, as the leader of the Jerusalem church, to be holy as God is holy, he quotes it from the Old Testament. He brings these laws into the New Testament church. It means that they still have great importance, these laws that we find in the Old Testament, of which the Ten Commandments are a part of. These laws are the ones in which we still need to pay, as well as the world, pay very much attention to. But, you cannot conform to these laws until you have accepted, committed, and been born again in Jesus Christ. Now please understand that I, I feel that everyone should live by these standards of God that we find in the Scriptures. Everyone should live by this way. In fact, God has set this standard in the world. The world turns and operates by God's moral standards. We find in the fall of mankind that there is trouble, that there is hardship and there is pain because our sin causes us collectively as well as individually to live a life that is contrary to the ways of God. So again, everybody should, should live by these standards of God because they are good, and they're good because God is good. But yet we also need to understand that when people live outside of the kingdom of God, outside of a relationship with the Father, there is nothing that holds them to these words, to these laws, to these ways of God. Let me put it in a different manner, in a different set of terms that we might better understand if we don't already. And the, simply, the terms are this. Why would an American live in the United States of America and follow British rule? Or why would they follow Russian rule? Or why would they follow Cuban rule? Or why would they follow Mexican rule? Or why would they follow Swedish rule? And so on and so forth. And even vice versa. Why would they live in the other countries as by American rule? And I give you a perfect example. If you were to follow British rule in America, you'd be killing a bunch of people because you'd be driving on the left side of the road. And if you were to do that over there and drive on the right side of the road, you'd probably put yourself and others in potential harm as well if you live by American rule in Britain and Britain rule in America. You see the point? We cannot live by the rules of another kingdom if we are not in it. They don't mean anything to us. Likewise, why would someone in the kingdom of darkness, that is Satan's realm and his domain and his control, why would someone in the kingdom of darkness live and follow the rules of the kingdom of light, that is, the kingdom of God? And vice versa. Why would someone in the kingdom of light live by the laws of the kingdom of darkness? You see, when people live in the kingdom of darkness, when they are lost in sin, they are void of the presence of Christ and His Spirit in their life. And of course they are going to live and promote sinful things. 
This is a sad reality of which I believe that we are fully acquainted with as we live in this world now. But I believe what is an even sadder reality is that Christian people, people would, who, who would consider themselves to be children of God, tend to sometimes live in this manner. We live with one foot in the kingdom of God and one foot in the kingdom of this world. We live by a, a double set of standards. If they didn't, and if we didn't, why would Peter write to the early church to live in the holiness of God rather than the evil desires that once consumed them? A pretty good question. Sort of redundant or kind of an arbitrary question. If it didn't have a purpose, if it didn't have a meaning. Why would we live in the evil desires of the world that once consumed us if we claim to live in Christ? Paul wrote to the Romans a similar question, a similar statement that we read last week, but that I shall read again. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin live in it any longer? Again, a good question. And for these good questions and for our lives and this troublesome dichotomy that we all live in, whether we want to admit it or not, that's why we need a prayer like that of the psalm that we have read this morning. Though we can do nothing about the sinful actions of those who live in and dwell in the kingdom of darkness that happen to live in our lives, around our lives, down the street, across the cubicle hallway, or even in our own home. So we can't do much about those who live and dwell in the kingdom of darkness until they come to join us as children of God by way of their adoption into His family, just like we were adopted into God's family through Christ. Though we can't do anything about that until that happens, we can do something about ourselves. And really, that's the only person we can do anything about anyway, isn't it? As much as we try to encourage other people, ultimately, at the end of the day, the decisions of individuals lie within the hands of the individuals. For us, we can do something about our relationship with our God for those who claim to live in the kingdom of light. But first, we have to realize that, that we should not wait for despair for the despair of sin to move us closer to God. Again, that statement is, is pretty true, that sometimes despair tends to be sin's only rival in leading men and women to God. But it doesn't have to be that way. And church, for all of us, it shouldn't be that way. We shouldn't be waiting for the despair of sin to move us closer to God, but rather every day we, sh we should be growing in our intimate knowledge of God and His holiness so that that might pull us into Him, that we don't have to wait for sin to push us into Him, for our repentance to push us back into God. We need to come to Him of our own free will and accord because we know that it's proper, it's right, it's good, and it's a blessing. It's something that we should do because of all that God has done for us. And that we realize over time that a life lived with God is better than a life lived in the world. 
I want you to listen to the words of uh, a woman named Martha Peace, who's a wonderful Christian counselor, as she speaks to this holy standard of God. She says, I have found that Christians have a line that they will not cross regarding their sin against God. Most of us would not rob a bank or have an abortion. Most would not commit adultery or take illegal drugs. Most would never even think of going on a drinking binge until they passed out on the floor. Yes, unfortunately, there is a line that we will not cross regarding sin. The reason I say unfortunately is because there are sins that we will commit as long as we do not cross the line of our own standard. God's standard, however, is far more pure and holy than ours. He also has a line, but it's not arbitrary. It is the straight edge of His law. All sin crosses His line, not just the big ones. It is not all right with God for us not to commit adultery, but to gossip. Neither is it acceptable for us not to get drunk, but to worry. God's standard is not arbitrary, nor is it a graded scale. It is completely pure and righteous. All that we do or think, including everyday mundane actions such as eating or drinking, is to be done exclusively for the glory of God Most High. God is the King of glory. He is, because of who He is and what He has done, worthy of all honor and praise. To glorify God means to call attention to His worth and to proclaim His excellencies. We are to do this as we are to love Him with all of our heart. God's glory should be our supreme delight and is our highest good. It should be something that we seek and greatly desire. At those words... I was very convicted myself. Where's our line? Paul tells us that the law is now written on our hearts as believers. The Spirit shows us and guides us in the ways of God. He helps us to know His truth. But we're also told by Paul in several occasions, in several places, that we are not to quench spirit in our lives I believe when we quench the spirit of our lives is when we've drawn that line when we put that line there because God has not the line that we do ours is arbitrary depending on our thoughts what we think about life sin, morals but God's standard is very clear and he will help guide us in it as long as we seek by His Spirit to draw the line. And that's why such a prayer as that of the 139th Psalm is so important, critical, and even dangerous. Because it has the potential not only to draw us into deeper fellowship with God, but also to draw us back from what may be keeping us from full fellowship with Him. This is of the most, excuse me, got my words mixed up there. This is one of the most practical of all prayers, for it helps us to throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles, 
so that we might run with perseverance the race marked out before us. What makes this prayer so powerful and even dangerous in the eyes of the devil are those two simple words contained within it, save, or (laughs) that was last week, search me, search me. These are those powerful, dangerous words within this prayer, search me. It is with these words that we as David open ourselves up fully before the Lord. David acknowledged that God already knows everything about him when he prayed, if I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. He said, my frame was not hidden from you. And when I was made in the secret place, you knew and your eyes saw my unformed body. So if God already knows all these things about David, why does David ask God to search him? Why does God need to search him if he knows all these wonderful and intricate things about David and his life, even knowing all of his days before his days even began? Why does God need to search him? That's for the same reason we need to ask God to search us because God wants our consent. God wants our consent. He wants us to know Him as much as He knows that we need Him. Just as eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was left up to Adam and Eve's freedom of wills, so too are the things of our lives left up to us. God already knows what we are going to do before we even do it. That's a part of His foreknowledge, of His omnipotence as God. But yet He submits to us the ability to allow His foreknowledge to direct our lives. God lets us follow the desires of our heart. He lets us do what we want to do. For the carnal or the sinful man, their heart desires evil. That's what their heart wants to do. But for the Christian, our heart should and can desire the Lord. They can desire His ways and they can desire His holiness so that it might be said of us that the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. This is how we make, a God's, make God's foreknowledge a part of our life. We allow him to speak into us his direction, to change our heart so that it might desire more of him than the ways of the world. And we know, church, that the ways of the Lord are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And since we know this, why would we want anything less than the will, ways, and holiness of God to penetrate, lead, and bless our lives? And it all begins with this such a simple, genuine prayer. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any offensive way or wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The way everlasting is the way home to the Lord. Lead him to heaven when his time comes. You see, this sort of prayer opens our hearts up before the Lord and asks him to show us what not only is not of Him in our lives, but He shows us what is of Him in our lives. This prayer not only lays bare our sins before Him, 
but it also confirms our commitments to Him as well. And this is what I would like us to do. I would like us to pray. At this time, may we pray such a prayer as David did. Through an adaptation of the early church father, St. Ignatius Loyola's personal prayer of examine, may we pray that God examine our lives. As I pray this prayer, there will be moments of silence. I pray you will sit and reflect on this prayer and what it calls you to think about. But more importantly, what it calls you to listen to God as He searches our hearts. So at this moment, would you please bow your heads, every single one of us, please. Close your eyes, and I would encourage you just to stretch both hands out before you on your open lap that you might receive in this time from the Lord. Would you pray with me? Lord, we will take this moment to stand a step or two before the place where we are to meditate. And with our minds raised on high, we will consider how you behold us, O Lord, our God. Then we will make an act of reverence or humility, whatever you call us to. We stop now, we breathe deep, and we become aware of the presence of your holiness. In our hearts and minds, we give you thanks for what you have done in our lives, particularly as of late. Now, O Lord, I ask your Holy Spirit to search us and bring the things, both good and bad, holy and sinful, to bear before you, that we would see what you want us to see. Lord, show me where I have felt true joy lately. Is this joy of you? Lord, what has troubled me lately? Is this the evil of the world or the evil of my sin? Lord, what has challenged me lately? Have I responded in a way most holy to those challenges? And have I glorified you in my response? Lord, where and when 
have I paused to enter your presence lately? Lord, in response to all these things, what do you have to tell me? How do you respond to me, O Lord? Please, by your Spirit, tell me now. Now as we look ahead, O Lord, what would you have me to do? Would you have me rejoice or confess? Lord, with what spirit do you want us to enter tomorrow with? One of confession, one of repentance, one of joy, one of hope. What spirit, Lord, do you want us to enter tomorrow with? Lord, we give you this time. We give you all these prayers. And pray that you will draw us closer to yourself through them. Whether in comfort or conviction. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. As the praise team now comes to lead us in worship. I do not know what the Lord told you in this time of prayer. I hope that we listen to him. But I do know that if you prayed this prayer in faith, God has told you something. If God searched your heart and told you to rejoice, then stand and sing in the spirit of comfort that He has brought to your souls. But if the Lord has brought something to bear that needs to be confessed and repented of today, maybe if it's the name of Jesus that needs to be confessed in your life for the very first time, or a sin, or sins... <laughs> that are keeping you from Him, I pray that you will come to this altar that you might enter a deeper fellowship and relationship with Christ. Whatever God has called you to this morning, I pray that you will respond to Him genuinely. And don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. God just wants you to be healed and so do we. Offer this invitation as we stand together and as we sing. Bending beneath the weight of his wind. 
Glory.